I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. So I've been doing some interviews with past and, and present R&D folk uh, about sets we worked on uh, together. And so today I have Brian Tinsman. And we're going to talk about Champions of Kamigawa. So hey, Brian. Hey, everybody. Hey, Mark. So this is a weird set in which you led the design team, and I wasn't on the design team. I was on the development team. So I did work on the set. I definitely contributed to it, but I was not on the design team. So um, it'll be interesting. I'll be telling development stories today. You can tell the design stories. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people touch this set throughout its, uh, its journey through R&D. Uh, it, it, it occupied kind of a weird spot because it, it was in between... OG Mirrodin and OG Ravnica, and uh, it had this mandate to be like a really flavorful top-down design. And, you know, my memory is that people in R&D didn't really use the terms top-down, bottom-up before Kamigawa came along. I I remember being in meetings and having people talk about, okay, a top-down set is where you're starting with the the story, the characters, the world, the theme, the flavor, and that is going to inform the mechanics. And people in the meeting going, oh, yeah, okay, like nodding like it was a new thing that they were (laughs) getting used to. So, uh, you know, maybe it's the first time that that really became an idea in R&D. I'm not sure if you remember that. Well, so what is your memory of how Champs of Kamigawa came to be? Like what what made it happen? Why, Why did we do it in the first place? What is your memory of that? Uh, I think we had been doing a number of kind of uh, really mechanic-related sets that had started with, you know, we're going to do another artifact set. We're going to do uh, a creatures and creature-type matters set. You know, that was the onslaught block. And uh, there was an idea, I think, that came from uh, – you and and uh, it wasn't me. Yeah, it, Bill, this wasn't my this, this wasn't my brand. Do you yeah. know who was, you, it, was it? Was it all Bill? It was all Bill. Bill Bill Rose. Yeah. This okay. was Bill Rose. Bill Rose wanted to do a like start with the creative and then build a set. Yeah, and uh, there was always a question of could we do a uh, Japanese mythology related set too when. Like nobody in R&D or on the team was really an expert in Japanese mythology. And we all thought it was an awesome idea. But, you know, how, how are we going to do justice to the, the concept and, and the depth? Um, and so we, we took our best shot at it and came away with a version that I think it, it really tried to be true to the, the, the tropes of the mythology. Um, but, you know, with, with a magic twist on it. So... We kind of uh, spent a while early in design trying to get buy-in from this idea that it was going to be a flavor first, and it was going to be uh, a legendary set, and which hadn't really been done since Legend set. Like that was a theme, and so now that was largely uh, flavor-driven, also. And so this was going to have like one foot in, in Legends, um, and it came out with. 70 or 80 legends in it. I think 75 legends all, were in. All, all the in rare Japan. creatures were legends, and there were some uncommon legends. Every single creature at rare was a legend, legendary, and then some of the uncommons were also legendary. Yeah, and I think for contra- in contrast, uh, in Mirrodin, 
the the large set before it, I think there were five legends. Yeah. And and half of, half of those were artifacts. So there's only like, you know, two or three art, uh, actual legendary creatures. So that, that was a huge change. That was kind of like made people's eyes pop out when they first heard about it. And I think it's funny, one of the reasons we're talking about Champions Kamigawa is I think the commander format really kind of breathed life into this set because it was a set full of all these legendary creatures. And so... Um, a, a lot of them quite quirky because when you make eighty or so legendary creatures, some of them can get pretty quirky. Um, and I, it, it, this set definitely has taken on sort of a a, a a a fondness after the fact. Like the 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 modern day people talk about with me all about Champions of Kamigawa. It's definitely one of the sets that gets brought up a lot. Yeah, well, bless those people because <laughs> <laughs> I think Champions of Kamigawa uh, was in. Uh, in some ways, an unfortunate spot because Mirrodin was kind of plagued by uh, balance issues, you know, in broken formats, and and uh, there was an overreaction, I think, to make uh, some of the cards in Champions of Kamigawa overcosted, and they, they didn't want to have that problem again. And uh, on the other side of it was OG Ravnica, which is, you know, good lord, one of the maybe the outstanding set of the whole decade. Uh, and so I think, in, in my perception, there were some players that kind of got fed up in Mirrodin block and took a break from Magic for a while and then came back in Ravnica. And then, you know, sales for champions was not great comparatively to <laughs> those two. And so with internally in R&D, there was a perception that, like, oh, players didn't like this very much. I, you know, we shouldn't do this type of thing very much. Uh, but looking back on it... Uh, there's really nothing like it. There's it has kind of like this confidence to be weird and quirky, and it's not it's not shying away at all from what what it wants to be, and that's a set that has so much character and personality that we don't really see things like it anymore. So uh, here's a name I want to bring up. So Brady Dammermuth was the head of the creative team at the time, uh-huh. and he and his team went went whole hog. Like they they researched and you know really really try to. Um, Go as deep as they could, and one interesting. One of the criticisms we get sometimes on the set was it was a little too faithful to Japanese mythology to the point at which a lot of a Western audience don't, don't even get the references. Um, and it's, it, it, I know. That, so talk a little bit about working with Brady and like what, what was it like trying to bring you know very Japanese mythology to to life. Yeah, he, he did a very thorough uh, story bible with um, all kinds of uh, concepts that that were, you know, straight out of very traditional Japanese mythology. And and he was a little aware of that, too. Like, I, I know that in, I think, uh, Betrayers, it's, uh, there's one call, card called uh, Shell of the Last Kappa, which sort of makes no sense if you're not familiar, but there's like a a mythological race of creatures that are sort of like the turtle people and they balance water on their head. And if you spill the water, then uh, something bad happens. Uh, And and he he said, we're putting that in there just to show that we're not exactly traditional uh, Japanese mythology because, you know, that race doesn't exist anymore. Maybe it used to, but they're gone, right? And so there's several several items that were like intentionally excluded so that it wasn't like a totally on the nose just pulled directly from mythology yeah and, um, another problem i know was um this was the set was not multicolored at the time way back then um 
multicolor wasn't something that every set had. And this set was was allocated not to have multicolor, very little multicolor. I think, in fact, I think it has no multicolor. Um, but anyway, there are a lot of concepts in Japanese mythology. Like I remember, I remember Brady talking about this. There's like these birds that are on fire, but they'll, but like they're not red. Like they, they, a red doesn't tend to have a lot of flyers, but like there were these things that like probably would be blue red, except. They didn't make total sense in blue, and they didn't make total sense in red, and we didn't have blue-red, and so there was a lot of, like, it's really hard when you're starting with flavor and you limit yourself for how you can reflect it. Uh, I, know th- I know that was one of the big problems of trying to capture some of the stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, another issue that we had was the, the, the theme, and this, this came, kind of came out of... Came out of Brady's work too was a, the storyline was this idea of uh, spirits versus mortals, and um, so some of our, our mechanics and uh, card design choice came out of uh, wanting to show and really illustrate that like look there's a spirit side and there's a I guess today it would have been a human side but humans weren't really an emphasized creature type back then so it was spirits versus everything else I guess. And um, that came out in like the Soul Shift, and uh, a lot of legend cards were you know one side or the other. Um, the Myojin, I think in in today's interpretation, they probably would have been gods. Uh, they were mm-hmm. they had an indestructible mechanic, and it was only like the second block when we had been we we had been doing indestructible. We didn't really quite know how to balance it back then, so yeah. we were pretty uh, pretty conservative with how we used it yeah had the potential to like lock up a board state and so it only went on super expensive creatures so you brought up soul shift so let, let's talk through the mechanics okay so soul shift you remember you remember that the soul shift i mean we remember the what soul shift did exactly yeah soul shift is when this dies you get to re- raise dead uh, an, another spirit of, of, of one less mana cost from your graveyard to your hand Okay, where did that come from? Uh, that was Mike Elliott, I believe, uh, trying to tie together um, a, a number a number of different mechanics, uh, showing that the, the, the spirits were relentless and and uh, the, the the mortals were in a fight for their lives against them, and and uh, I think that was the one that won out as being uh, flavorful and cool. So also a, a companion. This wasn't named, but Spiritcraft was also another spirit-related thing. So what was what was Spiritcraft? Uh, was that the code name? I forgot that was the code name for. Uh, when you, you played a spirit or arcane spell, the tr- tr- things that triggered off the playing of spirit or arcane spells. Yeah. Okay. So that was like uh, some kind of a ability. I think uh, uh, the the Kyren, uh all had that whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, and I believe arcane were spells originally were uh, themed as spirit spells and then they didn't want to put a, a spirit creature type on onto a non-creature card and it got changed over to arcane type right we didn't have tribal i mean yeah uh, yeah we, we well, didn't discover tribal technology at that point right lorwin would do tribal although I, we, we pulled back from it a bit but um so that was that was originally spirit spells okay. um so What's your memory of how? Well, explain what splice onto arcane. What splice onto arcane is, and then we'll talk about where splice came from. Sure. 
So splice onto Arcane is an ability that is on uh, uh, instance or sorceries. And when, when you play another instant or sorcery that has Arcane, you can pay an extra cost, show the card that has the splice from your hand, and get that ability while keeping it in your hand to play later or splice, splice again later if you want to. So, right, it sort of staples on that ability onto another spell. And so that, and then you get to keep it, though. You still get to cast the card itself later. Yeah. Do you know where Splice Under Arcane came from? Um, I remember Randy Bueller was pushing that quite a bit. Do you know who designed it? No. Me. Oh. <laughs> I did that. Uh, originally, so here's... Uh, originally, uh, it was you splice it out of the graveyard. It wasn't your hand. It spliced it out of your graveyard. So the idea is, like, you would cast a spell, and then you could reuse the spells from your graveyard. Um... But it ended up working better in your hand, so we we changed it to your hand. Um, mm-hmm. But I was we were trying to find. I was on the development team. This splice actually came a little bit later because it happened, I think, in early development. I know I came up with it. I, th- I thought it was early development could have been late design. Um, That's probably Randy was on the development team. He probably was trying to sell me on your idea. Yes, <laughs> but anyway, we were trying to like. I think we you you had the spirit spells and the spirit creatures. And we were trying to figure out, like, because obviously we had arcane for spirit craft, but we needed, like, it, it seemed, like, lame to just be on spirit craft. And so, like, oh, is there some mechanic that can make use of it? And that, and then we sort of ended up with Splice onto Arcane. Um, yeah. I think, Ran, did Randy lead the development team? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was on the development I did not lead it. I, I, I've not led development teams, but I, I was on the development team. Um, okay, here's another mechanic in the set, Bushido. What's your memory oh. of Bushido? So, to tell the audience what Bushido does, for starters. All right, so Bushido is uh, a keyword ability that was on Samurai, uh, of which we had a lot of Samurai in the set. They were sort of like representing the, the, the fighting forces of the mortals. And Bushido said that uh, whenever this thing is in combat with a, a, an adversary, it gets plus one, plus one. Or whenever, whenever it's blocked by an adversary, it gets plus one, plus one. Um, so what was the inspiration for Bushido? Um, we wanted a mechanic that it, it was uh, very simple and straightforward and that would play well in, in Limited and um, that would kind of express the, the, the spirit of, of these mortals that were you know, fighting for their lives, fighting to save their plane. Um, Okay, so it, it got borrowed from a card in Magic. Do you know what card it was borrowed from? Like, it was a card that we made a whole mechanic out of. What, do you know what the card was? What, Chub Toad? Chub Toad, very good. Chub Toad. Oh, my Chub-toad. God. <laughs> I'm impressed, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Chub Toad, but it, it's, I wouldn't have thought it would have been the inspiration for a whole mechanic. So I, it, it, I didn't make the connection in my, in my mind. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that you guys were looking for uh, just a combat mechanic because it made sense that the samurai were good at fighting, so you gave them a combat mechanic. Um, yeah. Like, one of the things was, a big part of the set was the spirits versus the humans, right? So you, you wanted to give the spirits some stuff and give the humans some stuff. Um, so there, there was one other big mechanical thing. Uh, this was, I don't know if it was technically named, but it did, the, the mechanic has a name. Flip cards. What is your memory of the origin of flip cards? Oh, flip cards. Good old R&D has been 
in love with this idea of cards that transform themselves for uh, as long as I can remember. Always trying to find different ways to change change cards from one functional state to another. And uh, this was one of the earliest attempts, and I was. Uh, bound and determined to get some kind of card face change happening because it was so different and so novel and there's so much potential there. Like I, I could see that changes to the card face really made people's eyes open wide when, when they first saw something that, that looked different. Um, and there weren't too many changes in, in uh, card face layout back I, then. I think the only thing that predates uh, flip cards would be split cards. As, as far as like having a frame that's just not your normal magic frame, right? Yeah, right. That's Invasion, right? That's Invasion, yeah. yeah um, I think you're right. So, I think you're right. So I'll, I'll give you a, here's a little history I remember of split cards. So mm -hmm. Richard Garfield and I worked together on Odyssey. In Odyssey, Richard had made a mechanic called Threshold. Uh, and the the flavor of threshold, uh, we did a lot of wear wear like a lycanthropy flavor in Odyssey, like wear bear, you know, like it's it's a man, you know, but now he's a wear bear or whatever. Um, and Richard and I had talked about was there a way to represent it, and we decided no, it didn't need to. Do, but Richard and I had had this discussion about uh, was there a way to show two states on one card, and we we didn't do it because we thought it was. Um, too much, you know, it, 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 and we, like, we didn't feel we needed it, like, Threshold didn't need it, uh, we just show the end state and not the beginning state, so Werebear is a bear, mm -hmm. but you don't see the man that once that becomes the Werebear, um, mm -hmm. and... Yeah, it's a good example of transformational cards. Right, so I think we had talked to you, at some point it had come up, and then you got very excited by the idea, um, yeah. so, like, Richard and I, and we, we ta I, I talked you through what Richard and I had talked about, and, and your eyes, like, lit up, you're like... We're doing that. <laughs> you, you, were, you were very excited once we told you the idea. And then you fought very hard for them. I remember that. Yeah. I, I, I index super high on uh, the, the explorer mentality and, and I value novelty. And, uh, and so I, I pushed hard to do new things. And, and, you know, I think it was uh, worthwhile. Like the flip cards are not probably not the best execution of that transformational type of mechanic, but like we were not ready to do dual-sided cards. Yes, we and, had to work and, our way there. <laughs> and and, and in, in fact, um, I led the charge for dual-sided cards in some other products that we did that kind of proved out that uh, they were possible to do in, in Magic. So yep. this was the precursor. Um, yeah, yeah. So th this this was uh, an early ancestor of dual sided cards. Yeah, and and dual sided cards e even came up in discussions when we were work talking about the flip cards, and they, they were sort of immediately dismissed as being ridiculous. Oh, come on, that's, <laughs> that, that, don't be silly! But you know, here we are, years later, and uh, yeah. Nobody thinks twice about it. It is funny conversations we'll have in the past. Like we could never do that. And flash forward like ten years later, we're doing it. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to ask you, there's a few cycles I want to talk a little bit about, see if you have memory of the cycles. Um, okay, the Honden. Do you remember the Honden? Yeah, for sure. Our, our legendary enchantments. I don't think legendary enchantments had been done. There's, there had been enchant worlds before, but not straight-up legendary enchantments. And they all uh, beefed each other up. Yeah, the shrines. So Yeah. How, how, so how did, they, how did they come about? How did that come about? 
Um, I don't have a good memory of who who was pushing them. I mean, my my best guess is legendary was a theme, and so knowing you, you're like, what else could be legendary? Let's figure out how to make other things legendary, and that's my guess how you got there. Well, and and I think they ended up having this is sort of like a a sliver mechanic where they all increased each other's ability because they were legendary. And so we knew that it would be more difficult for people to like, you know, stack them up in a standard deck and get a whole bunch of the same ones out all uh, buffing each other up. And then again, here we are years later with more Hondans, more more shrines available. Yeah, people ask all the time for more shrines, so they, and I know they're, they're excited when we we made the the last batch. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we did that. Okay, next the myogen. You, you talked about these a little earlier. Yeah, these myogen uh, or myogen godlike spirits that uh, if you play them from your hand, they'll come in with a divinity counter, and uh, as long as they have the divinity counter, they are indestructible, and then you remove it to do something of, of each color, uh, such as make your opponent discard their whole hand or uh, drop anything you want on the battlefield. And uh, the, the red one the red one is blowing up all the lands. So do you remember the history of these? Uh, I remember how they designed now. Okay, well, we'll jump to another one. The spirit dragons. Remember the spirit dragons? Oh, I love the spirit dragons. Yeah. Um, this is, let me see how I do. Um, Yusei, Kaiga, Kokusho, Ryusei, and Jugan. Very the, good. The green, the triple green <laughs> dragon. That I don't know how we got that through. Yeah. The, the, the other four were so strong that they, you know, uh, they they let the the triple green dragon into the club somehow. Yep. So how did those come about? Uh, we knew that we wanted to have like a, a whole bunch of these are like these representations of uh, the, the various factions of the the spirit um, enemies that were that were warring against the mortals, and uh, a lot of them were like really weird. Like if just go look in Gatherer or something at uh, spirits in common in Kamigawa, and they're just like. Super bizarre concepts. The uh, a couple of the the kami of the painted road is like this big hand with an eyeball and and makes no sense. Uh, but we knew that we wanted to have something that was like really recognizable. People would really identify it and think they were cool. And so uh, like dragons were definitely going to fit the bill there. And um, they all had a when dies ability to tie back into this idea that like, yeah, you can defeat these spirits, but they're, they're still going to be relentless and, and unstoppable. Uh, you know, whether you defeat them or not, you, you'll pay a heavy price. The, there, there was an old mechanic called um, Bloodbane, I think in a very early version of, of the set. Uh, in which, which said uh, you cannot uh, damage this creature unless any player pays two life. And mm-hmm. so th- this was an idea that like, yeah, you fight these things, 
but you're going to give up part of your, you know, part of your health or your, of your, your soul in order to, uh, you pay a price for fighting them. And it eventually, I never made it into the set, but it was found in a lot of commons in like early design play testing. And I don't think we've ever done that before too. Maybe, I, I guess it didn't play that well. Uh, I, actually, I think it, I do think it plays well, but we didn't do it there. I, I don't think it plays poorly, but okay. So, um, I want to, here's a mechanic. I remember that it was an early play testing that never got made. Hopefully you remember more than I, I just remember like a very, so you had this, um, martial arts mechanic where players would throw cards back and forth and like, I'm throwing a punch and you're blocking and like, it, it was, a, it was a martial arts battle. Do, do you remember oh, this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I know you, you like martial arts. I mean, I know you, um, you're a black belt, right? Yeah, I've, I've got two, I've got a black belt in karate and i got a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And that's the hard one to get, man. The, like, if you're going to go get a black belt, that takes a hell of a long time. <laughs> okay, so do, do you remember this mechanic I'm talking about? Uh, I vaguely remember it. I, I remember playing those cards. I don't remember the names or, or mechanics of it. Um. So here's my here's my memory. Maybe I can jog your memory a little bit. That the cards would have moves on it. So like the card would do its normal thing, but it would have a special little box that would have like this is a jab or what I don't know karate moves or whatever. But you know this is some sort of move. And then you would get in the fight, and then you would you would use your hand, but it wouldn't you weren't throwing the cards away. Just you could only use each card once, and you would have these little battles based on what was in your hand. Yeah, you you have to like reveal if you had a a, a block or yeah. a, a, a counter strike or something like that in your in your hand, and then um, if you had the right one, then yeah, you, you would counter the guy's spell and do some damage to him. I think uh, it, it was like a little sub game happening on instants and sorceries. Yeah, that uh, you could. It, it, it was trying to set up this dilemma of like. Uh, I, I want to bolt this creature, but I also want to keep this in reserve in my hand so I can reveal it and uh, counter his move if he if he tries to bolt my guy first. Yeah. That was cool. I, I, I forgot about that. Um, so here's another question. Uh, Probably too fussy, though. Like it, 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 it was a little too fussy. I, I think, like, yeah. you were kind of excited by it, and then you, you're like, ah, okay, it doesn't play that well, but it, it was exciting in concept. Um Okay. Well, a lot, a lot of things get get left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, that's part of the that's how design works. You try stuff, some works, some doesn't. Okay, so here's my question for you: um, Do you remember how all the rares ended up being legendary? No, I do. So I'll tell you the story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious sometimes if you know the story. Just I'm curious to hear your vantage point of the story. But um, so one of the I was on the development team. I wasn't on the design team. And one of my pet peeves on the development team is, is I wanted it to be, like, I, what is the set? Like, what is the main focus? Is it top-down Japan? Is it a, a set that cares about legends? Is it a war between the spirits and the humans? Like, we had to pick one thing to be the major focus. What's the, and, like, the set had a lot of things. I'm like, well, what, what's our main focus? What's the main thing that's important? And I kept bugging the development team. I'm like, we keep saying all these things are important, but something has to be the most important. What's the most important? And so one day we're in a meeting, and Randy goes, okay, uh, legends matter. That's the most important. And I go, fine, then all the rares are legends. <laughs> I just, I was just like, I was getting frustrated, and I literally was my, okay, if, if that's the theme, then here, blow it out, do the theme. And, and it, yeah. it came from me just being frustrated with Randy. 
And Randy's like, okay, we'll do that. Do it, okay? Yeah, I, I, I get that. And then, and then there's a little moment uh, in that kind of situation when everybody's sort of like, wait, can we really do that? Like uh, that, that's happened a lot of times before in design meetings. Like, yeah. Well, well, what, what if we're not being facetious here? What if we actually try to do it? Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think that. Yeah, I, I think that happened uh, in the. Uh, last set of um, the Shark of the Block when we were sort of like, oh, everything's gold. <laughs> or, or Legions. Everything's features. Yeah. Well, the, both of those sets started with that as a premise before they built design. Um, uh-huh. I think the... So, okay, so we're... I, I'm, I'm almost to my desk here, so let, let's wrap up. What is... what is your, Any finishing thoughts on Champions of Kamigawa? Looking back many years later. Um, there's so many great cards that, that came out of there uh, that like, I, I don't know if they, if they would, if they would have come out in a different kind of uh, theme set. Um, uh, Kiki Jiki and all the snakes matters sets uh, are cards in there that, you know, didn't really have snake support. They're just like weird and quirky and uh, since they divining top and, uh, Time stop was one of the first turn matter, like messing with the 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 turn, uh, other than taking extra turns, but like mm-hmm. you know messing with that little piece of the rules. Um, and I, I, you know, I feel really lucky and privileged to have gotten to meddle around so much with weird spaces that hadn't been entered into much before in design, and probably won't again for a long time, if ever. So, uh, it, it's great that it exists, even though, you know, for a while I was sort of feeling like, man, was this a good idea to try all this weird stuff. But it, now I'm really glad. I'm really glad we did. And I'm, I'm proud of the set and, uh, thanks to everybody out there who's loved and enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, fist bump to all you guys. I, there is a contingent that bugs me constantly uh, for us to return so much so it's like a running joke on my blog about people bugging me about it. So um, there, there is a there is a diehard uh, group of fans out there that that really did love it, Brian. They really love Kamigawa. That's awesome. So anyway, guys, I'm at my desk. So we all know what that means it means the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thank you, Brian, for being with us today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everybody. And guys, I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.